Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable. Coming to you from Beijing, I'm He Yang. Good to have you join us on today's show. We delve into the tale of ancient and vanishing villages. Should we refrain from intervening, allowing the course of nature to dictate their destiny? We highlight the shared struggles they confront and the steps that have been taken to preserve and revive these pockets of heritage amidst changing times. And we share with you what brought us joy this week, from awe-inspiring performances to enjoyable movies and songs. Essentially, what's made us happy in Roundtable's happy place. For today's program, I'm joined by Yu Shun in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. First on today's show. In China, the allure of urban life has drawn away from the countryside, leaving behind once thriving villages now marked by solitude and echoes of the past. As the younger generations chase dreams in bustling cities, the ancestral homes stand as quiet witnesses to the relentless march of time. In the wake of disappearing and decaying ancient villages, what has been done to safeguard these historical treasures? Well, first of all, let's take a look at what do old villages in China look like today? And there are so many of them, and I suppose situations will vary.、Mm. Most of them are remote and empty. Even though today's society has witnessed rapid development, some old age villages have still maintained a sense of simplicity. They have not been heavily impacted by modernization due to factors such as poverty and remoteness. They commonly face the fate of being abandoned as people leave and the houses are left empty. Only some old folks are found living in these villages, and some buildings are dilapidated. So there is an example of an old village called Sandu Village in Yangquan, Shanxi Province in northern China. It is situated in the lowest hills of the middle section of the Taihang Mountains, represents a typical Shanxi lowest village, and it has a history that spans a millennium.、Mm. So there used to be a bustling commercial street covered with stone slabs that date back to Ming and Qing Dynasty. That's Can be traced back to 600 years ago, you know, with pavilions standing at the southern and northern ends, and there are also ancient temples where people would pray for good weather and harvest in the past. But now, roughly two thirds of the 3,000 households in the village are empty. So, we can see even though they are old and many people have left town, there are still. Some buildings and facilities that have been preserved with historical and cultural vibes. Yes, indeed, and this is only one of the many examples we would like to provide you with today. And Josh, with research, what are some of the other vivid examples of the different situations that vanishing and old villages in China are going through these days? Well, yes, there are. Many examples, actually, Heyang. One of them is Tangdong Village in Chuanzhou in Fujian Province, and this village is characterized by many exquisite red brick, upturned eve ancient houses.、Uh, but actually, now sadly, the majority of them are severely damaged.、Um, much of the damage is because of natural decay from prolonged abandonment, while a small portion is a result of intentional destruction. Last year, a fire also broke out in one of the houses because of electrical. 
circuits, old electrical circuits, and the fierce flames engulf the entire building. Um, another example that I have here is uh, Chao's Grand Courtyard in Chao Jiaobao Village in Qixian County. I hope I pronounced that correctly. This sits for 54 kilometers south of Taiyuan, the capital of Shanxi province. Many Chinese people know about this place, uh, apparently, because of the 2006 Chinese TV drama of the same name. I haven't watched it myself. Um, Chao's Grand Courtyard was once the resident of Chao Zheyong, who was a famous Shanxi merchant of the Qing dynasty. And his family, and uh, it dates back to the reign of the Qing Emperor Qianlong. So it's very, very old. Um, it dates back to around the 1600s. And uh, the courtyard was twice reconstructed and expanded in later years. And the mansion was also developed into a grand architectural complex in the early years of the Republic of China. Um, to this day, it displays a pretty unique style of Northern Chinese Qing Dynasty dwellings. Yes, indeed. And many Chinese people do know this place. And thanks to that TV series and the, the courtyard architecture, which has been standing there for hundreds of years, they have been a symbol of wealth, of stability and longevity of the people there. And it's rather unfortunate that in 2018, the village around the courtyard has been demolished because the local authorities want to, and also I suppose um, it's good for the local economy to expand the tourist site of Chao's Grand Courtyard, because that's what it's been known for nowadays. So you also see that for this thriving example of but there's this sort of tug of war when it comes to interests, maintaining the place and how to keep a place alive in the modern times. And this is a nuanced issue that might not do we get a straight answer or a right or wrong answer? But certainly when these old and precious um, reminders of pastimes are gone, they're kind of gone forever. And that's a huge loss. And that leads to my next question. How important do you think it is in preserving these ancient villages, which, and a lot of them actually requires a lot of concerted efforts. I mean, is it worthwhile to do so? Hmm. First of all, I think we need to know that the value of these traditional Chinese villages is diverse and irreplaceable. They reflect, you know, historical memory and methods of production, and living wisdom, as well as many cultural and artistic essence and regional characteristics. I remember when I went back to my grandparents' house, it's also located in an old village, and I can always see those you know, stoves used for cooking with um, firewood and uh, old-fashioned wells. Of course, now we have better technologies and better facilities, but these old objects can always evoke a sense of nostalgia and a snapshot of that time, that era. So that is something, you know, that we cannot kind of replicate. And um, protecting these villages to help preserve cultural inheritance is critical and will promote the development of China's stated goal of creating what it refers to as ecological civilization while also advancing rural vitalization. Hmm. 
Josh, what is your view when it comes to preserving these ancient villages in China? And also, you come from the UK, a country with long history, and till today, I know many of the almost stereotypical English country houses and these communities—they are still alive and thriving. And have they went through sort of an evolution of? Its stance in society, and they still have the relevance today.、Um, yeah, tell us what you see in your country as well. Sure, I, I think that there's huge relevance here in, in my own country.、Um, a lot of these old buildings and old castles, especially and country houses,、uh, have been well protected for a long time. Aside from、uh, during. Uh, certain bombing campaigns during World War II, for example, there are certain buildings that were destroyed,、um, and there was a lot of war in England、um, throughout the last thousand years. So certain buildings, castles, especially like there's a castle in my own town in Scarborough, which is very famous, and、um, this doesn't.、Uh, this has been destroyed because of wear and tear, but、mm-hmm. th- there's many reasons as to why. But also in the UK, we still have. Our royal family and a lot of these houses, a lot of these heritage buildings are, you know, basically owned by the royal family. So they've been pretty well protected、uh, over over the centuries. Some of them better than others. And if you go to London, which I know Huyang, you've spent some time there. You may have been to the Tower of London, which、mm. um, is the most visited place in the whole of England, apparently, by tourists. And、uh, this has also been pretty well preserved. And you can go around and walk around it. It's incredibly. Important,、um, as Yushun said, on top of what he said, I think also not only is it heritage, but it's really human heritage, right? A lot of the things that we're talking about here are man-made buildings. They're made by people, as opposed to maybe something natural or, you know,、um, maybe a particular artifact. We're talking about buildings that people lived in, and from a historical perspective, it really gives us. Quite a tangible link to our ancestors and the way societies actually lived, and I think that this is really important because it gives us、um, a really vivid image of our history and how people lived and how societies worked, and it really allows us to reflect on our own society. I think I'm I love history, so for me, it's you know maybe I read into it a bit more than than you guys do, but for me, I think it's invaluable. It's it's so it's so incredible. Yes, well, it's wonderful to have a history buff on the show. I myself wouldn't necessarily say I'm a history buff, but I am fascinated by history and、uh, also just by looking at many of these very old and magnificent architecture in the UK. If we take it as an example, you see that some have fared better than others. I mean, if you are the place where, let's say. Downton Abbey was filmed. Then, of course, immediately there's international status of this place, and I suppose there should be more funding that goes to the preservation of a massive mansion as such. And these places really take a lot of funding to keep them in their top form. And in the UK, as we've seen in the last hundreds of years, as A lot of these、um, huge mansions or castles used to be owned, or still are owned, by the royal family. Other houses have been owned by aristocratic families, which no longer have the manpower nor the financial power to keep 
these places alive, and therefore some of them gave it up to the state and became stately homes where. They're now open to the public and can sell tickets, and that becomes one revenue stream to keep these huge mansions alive and afloat. And that sort of points to one of the crucial issues when we talk about keeping these places alive. That is, where does the money come from? And ancient villages here in China are receiving increasing recognition as. A place for traditional Chinese culture, and authorities are placing more importance on their protection and utilization in today's world. So, what measures have we taken here in China to preserve these ancient villages? And that's a little bit different from the stately homes and castles that we've been talking about. But let's talk about them in separate manner. Mm. Over the past decade, China has stepped up efforts to manage these rural housing, train rural artisans, and develop village infrastructure and public services. So we can see, according to Dong Hongmei, an official with the Ministry of Housing and Urban Rural Development, China has inscribed a total of eight thousand one hundred fifty-five traditional villages to its state protection list. In an effort to conserve the country's millennia-old agricultural civilization, and under this protection initiative, China has built the world's largest agricultural heritage protection network. And also, I think what is need to be mentioned is that people are establishing a renting and renovating platform. In 2019, an online platform was launched to promote the rental and renovation of houses in ancient. Villages by collecting and displaying the information of the vacant, uninhabited, and deteriorating old houses in traditional villages across the nation. So these houses situated near mountains, close to the sea, and they are very close to a lot of significant attractions or nestled in the midst of forests, are coveted. Living spaces for modern individuals, because you know the places that a lot of people are looking forward to be living. You know, so these buildings can be refurbished into some facilities that retain an old traditional appearance, but have modern interiors, serving as modern bed and breakfast homestays, or coffee shops, or art studios and museums, and so on. So nowadays, we can see there are so many measures that have been taken. By a lot of、uh, no matter it's the organization or authorities. Yes, and these are some of the rather innovative and modern ways to keep these places alive, I suppose. But it's also kind of important to sort of turn our attention to who gets to be picked, because there are so many villages and these old buildings. They simply don't have young people. Or younger generations of people who live there, because I suppose the neon lights of big cities and smaller towns—I mean, they attract people to move there. And when we're talking about these remote areas, Josh, do you think there needs to be, and there has to be, some sort of mechanism, because some of these、um, villages will get picked and will get the funding? To keep it alive, while others simply don't get the attention because there isn't enough resources going around for all of these buildings. Yeah, definitely. I think that 
the selection process is quite difficult and I think there is a lot of competition. Um, I think it varies on the nature of the recognition. So some sites can be chosen through a competitive pro process. I know that the process with UNESCO involves nominations and then evaluations by member countries and it begins with a country basically submitting a nomination right a, a nominated dossier i think it's called and then you have to provide documentation that demonstrates why it's culturally and historically or naturally significant um, and then they go and uh, an evaluation by the council and or something like this but of course all of this is still pretty subjective right and getting this application put in and then getting it reviewed properly it sounds like a really complicated process to me and i know i've seen plenty of villages which i'm very biased towards in um, my hometown and my part of the world which i think are worthy of unesco heritage which i know they'll probably never get nominated right um because it just doesn't have the infrastructure behind it to do so um i think that uh you know there are other means probably um you know like national monuments and historic landmarks and protected heritage sites um, this can maybe involve more local experts and be more local. But when it comes to UNESCO especially, I think the process is pretty competitive and complicated. Yeah, and there are some certain criterias about uh, whether these villages can be selected to be saved. Um, according to Chen Xingyi, who is a professor in the area of traditional village architectural culture, he said that traditional Chinese villages generally refer to those with lengthy histories, which retain folk customs and have not undergone significant changes to their architectural appearance. And to be selected, these villages must meet certain criteria, including rich history and culture, a well-preserved traditional buildings with conservation value, the living practice of local intangible cultural heritage, and the preservation of village vitality. Hmm. That would lead to another question. That is, you know, when we talk about renovation, also preservation of these old physical places, are we talking about a return to its original form of what it's supposed to be in history books? Or are we talking about some kind of modernization needs to happen so that maybe this can be a place that contemporary people can go in and, and, and live there? Or can it operate as a hostel or, you know, some kind of hotel business that can actually attract people and revenue coming in so that it can self-sustain the place? So what's your take on this sort of um, tricky, is this a tricky balance? Or it's, it's sort of like a, a juggle between both sides of how to keep the place alive? It's a great question and it's a great point because I think that the answer is quite obvious and that it, it does have to be self-sustaining in some way. I think that it does have to involve the public and it should be, you know, our heritage and our history, the nation's history. And so the only way for that to really be true is if the public are able to involve themselves with the building in some way or another. I think that it does take careful evaluation because certain buildings certainly aren't suitable to be turned into maybe a hotel or a shop or something like this. But I think that there are certainly measures that can be taken. I mean, I know we're talking largely about villages today, which usually are quite active and 
um, the UNESCO heritage sites. I've been to a couple of villages in China and um, one of them is in Lijiang in Yunnan province. And I went to the village there and this is quite a thriving tourist attraction, right? If you go to that village, you can walk through it and there's tons of stores and activity. There's bars, there's restaurants, there's little boutique hotels. There's basically everything in there. And I think, and it's also pretty pristine and it's kept clean, you know? So this, this seems to be working, you know? And I guess that it kind of automatically is protected because it's got so many businesses there. The business owners are then going to take a certain degree of responsibility to keep it safe, keep it clean, right? To keep the standards up. So that works in some ways. Some buildings are falling down. They're more delicate, you know? And so this is why you need to get professionals in, experts who know about the building. Um, and also the surrounding area is bringing in loads of tourists going to damage the surrounding area. If you've got cobbled streets like you do in the village in Lijiang that I mentioned, it's okay, right? Or it's more durable, but certain areas aren't. So I think it takes careful consideration. But to answer your question, I think the public does need to be involved in some way. Yes. And what you just mentioned, Lijiang has been the poster child of how these ancient village groups can work. And also with severe criticism it has attracted that is being overly commercialized losing its original flavor and locals don't actually want to live there unless they're doing business in their own home so that becomes you know another issue that people have been talking about in this country as well and you shouldn't tell us about how the local communities have involved themselves in the preservation process of these villages yes as we talked about it um, protecting traditional villages does not mean only preserving them exactly as they were the local lifestyles should be modernized in accordance with the times and villagers have the right to enjoy the convenience of modern technology and also we can see that preserving intangible cultural heritage such as handicrafts ethnic costumes and performance arts is another way to protect these ancient villages. There is an example also in Yunnan province. It is a village called Zhoucheng village in Dali. And it is known for its tie-dyeing techniques. So tie-dyeing is a traditional dyeing technique of the bi-ethnic group, which was listed as a national intangible cultural heritage in 2006. And the dye stuff is derived from indigo and the final color of the dyed fabric is blue and white. I think a lot of Chinese people can notice and uh, have a peek on these beautifully dyed fabrics and a lot of them will make them into, you know, like scarves or handbags, something like that. And we can see a lot of um, entrepreneurs are also developing business in this area. Zhang Hanmin grew up in Zhoucheng village and then moved to Beijing for work. When she returned to the village more than 10 years ago to visit her family, she found there were fewer people practicing tie-dyeing than when she was a child. So to preserve this traditional handicraft technique, she returned to the village with her husband in 2013 to establish a company producing these tie-dyed fabrics. And till today, the company employs nearly 100 skilled 
craftspeople aged between 20 and 80 to make tie-dyed products, and has a revenue of more than 2 million yuan. That's about 288,000 a year. So we can totally see that it is not only protecting the tradition, also boosting the local economy. And with better economy, supposedly that will feed back to the preservation of this place where people can、uh, live a happy life as well as make a living. And maybe that's the key to keeping people there. Because、right. if you got folks who don't want to live there anymore, then well, it's just going to be that much harder to keep the place breathing. And. As we strive to protect these living stories, may we continue to draw inspiration from the cherished landscapes of our past, embracing the challenge to keep our cultural roots alive.